following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. I love this day. I love to honor women. I love to honor mothers. I love to honor daughters. I think it's just a special, special day. And we deserve a day. I believe that. And uh, it's just a wonderful day to just celebrate all the women in our lives. And I want to honor my 85-year-old mother, who I'm so blessed is still with me. I wish she was here today. She lives in Houston, but I give honor to her. And uh, my late mother-in-law, who gave me my wonderful husband, I cannot leave her out because she gave me the love of my life. And my three daughters, Misty, Cassidy, and Caitlin. And uh, not only did they make me a mother, they have made me grandmothers now. A grandmother now. (laughs) And I have beautiful, uh, seven beautiful grandchildren and one on the way in about a week and a half. So our last grandchild, I do believe, will be here soon. (laughs) My pocketbook is empty. But today we want to uh, do something a little different, and we're going to hear from five women of CLC who are going to share about a seven-minute glimpse of a part of who they are as a woman and a mother. And I'm going to go ahead and introduce all the speakers to you beforehand, and then they will just come up here rapid fire, one right after the other. Our first speaker today is going to be Norma Taylor, and she's married to Al for 40 years, mother of... Five grown children, Atisha, Alfred Jr., Lorenzo, Angelo, Leonardo, and grandmother of nine. So we're thankful for Norma. Next, you're going to be hearing from Kayla Bear. She's married to Royce for 15 years. She's a stay-at-home busy mother of Sawyer, who's four, and Sophie, who's two. And then you're going to hear from Amy Vasquez, and she's married to her husband, Louie, the barbecue man, for 14 years, full-time working mother of Ava, who is 11, and James, who is 9. And then you're going to hear from Christy Larkham. She's married to Charles for 28 years, a realtor extraordinaire, a mother of grown children, Tiffany and Charles Jr., And then to round it all out will be Ann Gonzalez. She's married to her husband, Fred, for 19 years. She's a corporate travel agent, mother to Joshua, 17, and Morgan, 15, and a comedian on the side. So since they're only allotted seven minutes each to speak, I'm going to go ahead and tell you from their opening remarks that they're honored to be here. They're thankful to have been asked. They're really glad this is third service. (laughs) And uh, they just feel honored to be part of our Mother's Day program 2019. So now that that's out of the way, they can share what's on their hearts. And to start us off, please welcome Norma Taylor. First, I'd like to acknowledge my best friend, my better half, a man that I'm madly in love to, my love with, my husband of 40 years, Dr. Al. Last night, my five-year-old granddaughter, Emma Grace, FaceTimed me and said, Granny, I know you're speaking tomorrow. 
And I said, I am. And she said, and I know you're nervous because I get nervous when I have to talk to people about Jesus. And I said, well, what do you do? And she said, I just talk to them one at a time. So I'm sorry, I'm going to have to ask all of you, but one to leave. (laughs) So over 30 years ago, my sweet husband worked as the director of information management alongside a group of psychologists where reading was encouraged to enhance creativity. He called me one afternoon and said, baby, read Proverbs 31. And I said, okay. He said, baby, that's you. That's you. Well, I began to delve into Proverbs uh, 31, and I was wowed by the woman described there, but I was also overwhelmed and humbled that he saw her in me. I didn't have Christian marriage and motherhood modeled for me, so there was a determination inside to be the greatest mother and wife that I could possibly be. I didn't want to leave to chance the two greatest things that God has blessed me with here on this earth. So the first thing I learned in reading Proverbs was truth will force you into freedom and you know, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. There is always a manifestation when truth enters. Here are seven of the proverbial woman's truths as well as ours. She was priceless, strong, key in the, her husband's success. She was dignified, God fearing, praiseworthy and kind. Her price was far above rubies. Rubies are among the five most precious stones on earth. They are rarer than diamonds, and that's where their value comes in. Ladies, you are valuable. You are priceless. God chose us to carry and bring forth life. He could have replenished the earth any way he chose. He wasn't lacking in creative ideas. He chose us on purpose. Look around you ladies. Everyone you see came here through a woman. God chose us on purpose. He calls you priceless. Ladies, you are strong. You carried a life for nine months and then endured a tremendous pain to bring forth that life. I know because I did it five times. God knew that he could trust us to join forces with our husbands and be fruitful and multiply. He knew that even though we have to give up our schoolgirl figures and endure a body that did whatever it wanted when it wanted to, and the pain of bringing forth that we would keep on doing it. The proverbial woman's husband was known in the gates. It says, the scripture says her husband, the husband of the proverbial woman was known in the gates. There is a correlation between the proverbial woman and her husband's success. Don't buy the words of the the world's ideology about marriage. It is still a good thing to minister to your husband. It is still an honorable calling. Because you are at home, you are not forgotten. God knows exactly where you are. The Bible says what you do in secret, he will reward you openly. We are called to do our husbands good and not evil all the days of our lives. We are a crowning glory. What he's supposed to do, that's none of our business. God knows exactly where he is too. Ladies, you are dignified. You are regal and royal. Don't walk around with your head down. You are a woman of virtue. Hold your head up. 
and believe who God says that you are. Let every man be a lie and God be the truth. You are praiseworthy. You are worthy of admiration. You are beautiful. Whether you're 100 pounds, double that or triple that, you are the object of God's adoration. Women are God-fearing. They seek the Lord. Favor is, be- favor is deceitful and beauty is fleeting. But a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Ladies, we are kind. Kindness is an important attribute of a proverbial woman. Our words are to be like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Kindness is a quality that is not predicated on another's behavior. We are to be kind regardless. Another word for kind is gentle. First Peter 3 says, Let not your beauty come from the outward adorning of plaiting of the hair or wearing of gold or putting on apparel. But the hidden man of the heart, a quiet and gentle spirit, which is of great worth in the eyesight of God. In conclusion, whatever you were told in your past, whether it was last year or last night, God says you're virtuous. You have value. You're priceless. You're strong and dignified. You're praiseworthy. You're kind, a crowning glory to your husband. Your rarity makes you invaluable. You're uncommon and unique. There is only one you. There is no one else like you. Fearfully and wonderfully made you are. A royal priesthood and a holy nation. You are sanctified and set apart for good works. Let God be the truth and every man be a lie. Happy Mother's Day. Well, with it being Mother's Day, I can't help uh, but talk about being a mother and reflecting on my journey into motherhood. And part of that is acknowledging a season of my life that left me forever changed. Um, The year that I became a mom in 2014 was one of the hardest years of my life. I started off that year learning that my dad, who had been suffering from a debilitating illness for a couple of years, only had about six to seven more months with us. But shortly after learning that, we found out that we were expecting, which obviously brought a lot of joy to what had been a tough season for our family. But even that good news was quickly tarnished when we learned at one of our appointments that we were gonna be up against some, some pretty heavy challenges as a result of an ultrasound. And that news sparked the beginning of a high-risk pregnancy and really sent me to one of my lowest points. But I'll go ahead and sum up part of that story for you. I did lose my dad that year, but exactly seven weeks later, against all odds and by the grace of God, I welcomed a perfectly healthy baby boy who's now four and a half years old. And... I've never felt that the purpose of that season of what we went through then was just to only witness the healing power of God. And we did, and we are forever grateful. But that season of my life changed me because I experienced in him as I never had before. I remember coming home from that first doctor's appointment when we learned that and literally just falling to the floor and crying and praying, not just for healing, but for strength, strength to get up, strength to take another step. Strength to face some days ahead that were going to be filled with a lot of uncertainty. And I had a decision to make in that moment about how I move forward. I could sit back passively, kind of waiting, hoping for the future, mustering up some faith to cling to some promises, or I could dive deep into a relationship with God 
and I could invite his presence to go along with me. And that day marked the beginning of a true quest for a relationship with God that I hadn't experienced before because honestly, I'd never sought after it. I learned what it meant to put my trust fully in him, to seek desperately after him. I learned what it meant to rest in the promise that even if it wasn't going to be okay, I was going to be okay because of him. And I'm reminded of a passage in the book of Exodus in the book of Moses. And I just love the story of Moses. I joke that it's because every year I make that commitment to read the Bible through. And I always make it at least through Deuteronomy on schedule. So I've had some time to grow fond of this story. But what stands out to me when I read a story is that even though Moses didn't fully trust and believe in his calling and in his position, he fully trusted and believed in the one who called him and positioned him. And you see that in his relationship with God. You see that in how he talks with God. You see that in how he obeys. We come to a point in chapter Exodus chapter 33 where God tells Moses, it's time to leave where you're at and lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And he told Moses, I will send an angel before you to drive out the inhabitants, but I personally cannot go with you because the Israelites had been so rebellious and so stubborn that he said, I would surely destroy them. And you see in Moses' response, basically what he said is, if your presence doesn't go with us, if you personally are not going to come with us, then don't make us leave from where we're at. Let's just call this off right now. You see, Moses was less concerned about where he ended up, and he was more concerned about who was going with him. He didn't just want the promise of God, he wanted the presence of God, because he knew there was going to be some obstacles and some opposition along the way, and the presence of God was what was going to make the difference. The presence of God was what was going to set them apart. And you know, so many times when we we face tough seasons or just seasons of waiting, And we cling to the promise, the hope for the future. We cling to those promises of what's waiting ahead for us. But the road to the promise, we don't know how long it's going to take to get to the promise, to the healing, to the deliverance, whatever whatever restoration, whatever resolution that God has, we don't know how long it's going to take to get there. And the road to the promise, it doesn't feel like the promise. It feels like the wilderness. It feels like isolation. It can feel like God's forgotten about you or at least forgotten about the things that he promised you. But you see, the future, that moment, the future is still ahead of us. In that moment, that's where we can experience him. That's where relationship can happen. Because you see, the future is where we may experience his promise, but the present is where we can experience his presence. And that year of my life was where relationship happened, and it's where I experienced his presence. So after God told Moses and honored that request and said, yes, I will personally go with you. You see, he loved Moses. He knew him by name. Moses' response, it kind of gave him courage to ask for a little more. He said, God, show me your glory. In other words, he was saying, show me who you are. Show me the fullness of who you are, your magnificence, your infinite power. He wanted to know him. And God, even though he couldn't fully grant that request because no human can truly behold the radiance of God, God told Moses, I'm going to set you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to cover you with my hand and my glory is going to move in front of you and I'll remove my hand and you will see the backside of my glory. And Moses was able to catch a glimpse, a glimpse of the glory, a glimpse of the goodness 
And I just can't help but think back to that time in my life when I cried out to God. And I determined that more than anything, I needed Him. I needed His presence. And maybe you've been there too. And you get to that point where you cry out and you say, God, I need you. But I also want to know you. And I need you to show up. And I need you to show me who you are. And show me your power. And show me what you can do. And sometimes after we cry out, the days, the weeks, the months even, they can feel like darkness and they can feel like silence and you feel stuck. You feel stuck in your situation. You feel stuck in your season. You feel stuck in this present. But what if you aren't really stuck? What if God has just placed you in the cleft of the rock? And what if the darkness and the silence that you perceive is just his hand that's covering you? Because that darkness will lift. Your seasons will change. Your situation will change. The present is going to slowly unfold into the future. And when it does, you're going to catch a glimpse. And you're going to catch a glimpse of the glory and of his goodness that was in front of you the entire time. He is always with us. He is always near. His presence is surrounding us. And he's always working for us and moving his goodness and glory right in front of us. I um, took in to looking into what person in the Bible that I related most to. And one of the people in the Bible was Ruth. Um, I'm going to read you a quick story. And it says, Naomi lost her husband and two sons, but remained with her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpha. Naomi prepared to return home and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters, go back, each of you, to your mother's home May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and me. May the Lord grant you, grant each of you, and you will find rest in the home of another husband. As we all know, Orpha went back, but Ruth replied with this. Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. From your people, your people will be my people, and your God, my God. This year, I find myself, well, sorry, excuse me. (laughs) I find myself relating to Ruth when she made the choice to follow Naomi back to Judah. A new journey after her loss, not knowing where God was taking her, and God showing showing her his favor. We've all gone through trials um, that make us feel alone and as if no one understands us. We always think that it's all us on our own, and we know if we talk to each other, that that's not true. So this past year, I found myself in um, a place of chaos and just things not going right. Um, finances were not there. Um, we were in the process of selling our home, and also our business was not doing well. Um, I knew that through this, God was doing something, but I couldn't understand what. I couldn't hear him, and I couldn't see it. But if you also know me, I was trying to do things on my own. I'm a natural fixer. I like to fix things. Yeah, that's just me. Um, I would even come up with these little scenarios in my head of how God can bless me and how I could, how this would work out. And I'd be like, yeah, God, that's a great plan. How about you do that? And he wouldn't. (laughs) He wouldn't. I mean, silly me. Why would I think God would take my advice? I mean me out of all people in this world. I know he hears me, but I'm pretty sure he was giggling. 
Um, Because we all know God has bigger plans than any idea that we can come up with. Oh, goodness. (laughs) But that's where I found myself, right there, trying to fix things. And I was broken, and I was lost, and I was hurt. And all I kept asking God was, what are you trying to teach me? What is it that you want me to see and understand? What is it? But I just wanted him to, what was it, write it on a post-it note, put it on my desk and be like, that's the answer right there. You should do that. Or write it on the sidewalk with some colorful chalk and say, this is what I have in mind for you. Because then you knew where you were going and you didn't have to worry. But right now, I know that that's not what, um, but that's not what God wants from us. He wants us to grow through what we go through. Every situation that we have, every situation that we come to at that crossroad, we learn what God is trying to show us. Just like um, like an overwhelming job. Like we see that's a problem, but there's something in there that's going to show us to grow from that. Um, not having enough for a car payment. And that's something else that we're going to learn from. And also praise God in that craziness. So all these opportunities that come our way, it shows us how God can bless us to grow. God's, God, God's great goal is to conform you and to the image of Christ. And nothing, nothing, nothing can prevent his plans. He deserves all the praise all the time. And we must be consistent in our praise and know that in any situation, God has a plan. I'm going to read to you James 1, 2, 3, 4. And it says, my brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So, my biggest, another to go on my biggest trial was um, when we started our business, and um, my husband planned to leave his job and go ahead and use his 401k, 401k and Everything was going to work out. Everything. But it didn't work out that way. Um, not one plan had gone our way. Um, but we were continuing to be blessed in all of that. And God was always right there by our sides. Our business was going afloat. Um, it was um, making enough to keep us going. Um, and, but that, and it made us look like we were doing great. But I can tell you that that was farther from the truth. The truth was that we had... You know, had plans to sell our home before a lot we lost our home, and I was devastated and I was hurt and I was at my lowest where I could be, where I just cried at everything that just overcame me with emotion. And anybody would ask, "How's it going? How are you doing?" And I would just sob and cry, and I just didn't know what else to do. And I finally got that realization in my heart that I just needed to give it to God. That no worry, no worry at all was ever going to change my outcome. But he was going to change my outcome if I just gave it to him. That's where I found. And not only that, but also seeking the women in my life and, and letting them know and sharing my stories of what I'm going through and having them uplift me. And I know that the two most important, amazing ladies in my life were my grandmothers. They love to just pray for me and encourage me and just show me that love. And I hope that one day I have the faith like them. And I just want to encourage everyone that's here 
to remember to just uplift each other, to be there when things are hard and just to share your story with each other and remember to know, share what you've grown, what show how you've grown through what you've gone through. Good morning. Good afternoon, sorry. (laughs) First of all, I want to give honor and thanks to my mother who's in heaven. She was the most beautiful woman inside and out. She and my dad are my heroes. When I was a freshman in high school, my mother was diagnosed with stomach cancer. I was raised in a denominational church and had a respect for God. But as I lay on the floor in the hall of the ICU unit at the hospital, I asked God if he was real, would he please heal my mother? And if he would, I would live my life fully and totally for him. God healed her. As a result, I put my full trust in him and was saved. My mother lived a full and rich life and went to be with Jesus in 2012. I also want to honor my amazing mother-in-law, Beverly, who's here today in the service. And I'm so sweet. I'm so happy our sweet daughter Tiffany is here from Dallas. I'd like to talk to you about how God makes beauty from ashes. The Lord tells us in Isaiah 61, 2 through 3, he came to comfort all who mourn giving those a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of despair. All of this so he may be glorified. I want to encourage all of the women, whether you're a mother or not, that if you are facing a challenging situation in your life, whether it's divorce, a lost job, a difficult diagnosis, a wayward child, or a loss of someone special, whatever it is, God is near to you. He is a very present help in time of trouble. He will make a way where there seems to be no way. He will turn your ashes into beauty and he will be glorified. I earnestly know this to be true. In 2006, I had a tragedy in my own life. To begin, I had a fairy tale and charmed life until I was in my early 40s. My sister and I, my older sister and I were blessed to have a very close family with five generations living in Austin at one time. I couldn't believe all that the Lord had done and blessed me with in the natural. And it continued. In 1991, I married a Jesus-loving, Holy Ghost, spirit-filled, godly, very handsome and polished kind of guy, my Charles. <laughs> He's amazing. Then we had three precious, healthy children, Tiffany, Charles, and Alexandra. They were my joy. My fairy tale continued. My life was pretty much perfect, and I was so happy. I got to stay at home with my children and pour into them, serve them, love on them. Our family was serving the Lord, and we were in church whenever the church doors were open. Then one day... In January 2006, our youngest child, Alexandra, started limping on one leg. After a doctor's visit, we dismissed it as a minor injury resulting from a recent trampoline crash she had with her friend Jackson. It was the week of her fifth birthday. She was so excited about her birthday party. 
She and her friends dressed up as princesses, complete with makeup, lipstick, nail polish, nail polish, hairdos, and tiaras. The party was a big hit. Her princess costume stood in sharp contrast, though, to her preferred tomboy attire, which was fitting of her adventurous nature taking after her brother, Charles. That night, after the party, when we were tucking her into bed, I said, Okay, little A, show me on your fingers how old you are. And so she held up five fingers on her right hand. And for some reason, I said, Okay, show me on the left hand. And she said, Okay, mommy, but this hand needs a little help. And she couldn't hold her five fingers up on her left hand. My heart skipped about 10 beats because I knew right away that the limp on the left leg was directly related to the difficulty in the left hand. As mothers, we know when something is wrong. We have a strong intuition when something is wrong with one of our children. I know that you mothers all know that. We said our prayers and kissed her goodnight. The next day, we saw the doctor, and he immediately scheduled an MRI. Late that day, his phone call confirmed any parent's worst fear. Alexandra was diagnosed with diffused intrinsic pontine glioma, an inoperable tumor in the brain stem. This word diffused means that the tumor is entangled among the blood vessels and the neuropathways. Medically, this was a lights-out diagnosis. Panic struck me. I thought this kind of thing happens to other people, not us. At this time, our situation seemed hopeless. We had to walk by faith and not by sight. The physical signs and symptoms were discouraging. For the next four months, we spent hours worshiping the Lord each day, made strong confessions of faith, took walks, continued to read the Bible, listened to faith-filled messages, and played a lot of Candyland with Alexandra. The joy of the Lord became our strength. Ephesians 6 tells us that after you've done all that you can do to stand, still stand. We had incredible support of our family and friends providing us with meals, prayers, and even school and activity transportation for Tiffany and Charles. So four months later, on May 20th, Alexander was having trouble taking deep breaths. I took her to the hospital and Charles met us there. I laid in her hospital bed with her and we read her favorite books, prayed and talked and giggled. She said she'd like to go home and be in her own bed. But another brain scan was performed. The tumor had grown significantly. Tiffany and Charles had come to the hospital that day. Before they left to spend the night with their grandmother, Tiffany looked back at Alexandra and wondered if she would ever see her again. Due to Alexandra's reduced breathing capacity, she was transferred to the critical care unit. We prayed all night by her bedside. 
Very early in the morning on May 21st, Alexandra peacefully went to be with Jesus. As Charles and I left the hospital and walked to our cars, the sun was rising. It was the dawning of a new day. I'm sorry. It was the most difficult day of our lives. As I got in my car, I looked to the back seat and saw Alexander's empty booster seat. Losing a child is everything that you think it would be. It's devastating, bewildering. The pain is excruciating. You want to disappear and just escape the pain. It's like an out-of-body experience. Pastor Rex, I know you know how this feels. And others in here may know also. My fairy tale life had ended. Life would never be the same. As I started the car to leave, the first note of mercy me's I can only imagine was on the radio. This was a gift from God. I was over, overcome by emotion and the overwhelming presence of God. I heard deeply for about two years, but God has brought healing to me and to our family in our indelible grief. He has brought our family up higher, strengthened our marriage, grown our faith, and blessed me with a wonderful career. We are completely surrendered to him. God is faithful and his promises are yes and amen to those who are in, who are in Christ Jesus Jeremiah 29, 11 promises the plans that I have for you are to give you a future and a hope, a future and a hope. He has turned our ashes into beauty and he will do the same for you. This month marks the 13th year of Alexandra's death. It is especially tender for me. Alexandra will be graduating from high school on May 25th, the day of her burial in 2006. Her best friends are graduating that day, and we will be there to cheer them on. Once again, my joy in celebrating her friends is confirmation of God's healing. Things impossible with men are possible with God. James 4 reminds us that one's life is but a vapor. It appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. Let me encourage you today. Please, please run your race and trust in your God Almighty. If you are in a battle right now and it seems impossible, don't lean on on your own understanding. Run to God. Rely on Him. He is a big God and He always turns the ashes into beauty. Every time. And He says... Surely, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Bless each of you and happy Mother's Day. I thought that by the third service, I would not be a puddle after her. just such a beautiful testimony. If I had to describe motherhood in one term, it would be beautiful chaos. 
I had my babies a few years before social media was a thing. And for this, I'm ever so grateful. Since I'm certain I did not comb my hair for the first few weeks of their life. Now there's so much pressure to post the most perfect picture in the most perfect pose without a flaw and with perfectly combed hair. In my reality, though, there's no perfect picture. We live in crazy town at our house and we've actually thought about installing bleachers and selling tickets to the ongoing sitcom. (laughs) I have two kids, both in high school. My son, Joshua, he's a senior. My daughter, Morgan, is a freshman. And one thing I've learned is that every phase of their life has prepared me for the next phase. When they're babies, all you do is feed them, change them, rock them to sleep, rinse and repeat. You're so deprived to sleep yourself that all you can think is if we can just get to that next phase. But in that next phase starts crawling, they start walking, and you realize the word no is the only word in your vocabulary. This is a fun stage with giggles, blooming personality, your baby learning how to say new words, and you think, if they could just learn how to talk and tell me how they feel and tell me what they think. (laughs) Trust me, they do learn. (laughs) And there is a day that you will lock yourself in the bathroom and you pray, God, if you did it for Daniel, I know you can close the mouth of my child. not a joke. (laughs) My son Josh talked in full sentences before he was two. Actually, on his second birthday, he sang the national anthem word for word. Yeah, it's not a thing. But we went to Target one day, and I was pushing him in the cart, and as I was pushing him, we stood in one of the aisles, and I was looking for a certain item. And there was a stranger that was standing beside us, and he was also looking for something, and I have no idea why, but Josh pointed to the man and said, Mom, is that man my dad? (laughs) And it was the only time in history anyone left Target without buying anything. (laughs) But soon they're off to school, and the real fun begins. You thought your life was chaos before? You ain't seen nothing yet. In elementary, you have PTA meetings, field trips, homework, science projects, all the classroom parties. And you get a hand cramp from the amount of checks that you write and the forms you have to fill out, and that's just the first day. You learn a lot, like where to purchase an ink cartridge late at night when your child goes to print a report and discovers the printer's out of ink. And your husband rushes to Walmart and installs the cartridge. And then and only then does your child tell you, we're also out of the color color ink. (laughs) I know, you've been there. You learn not to freak out when one morning your kid gets out of the car in the school line and tells you that they forgot to tell you that they signed you up to bring four dozen cupcakes to the teacher's (laughs) During the elementary age is when your child also starts getting involved in baseball, basketball, soccer, dance, and any other possible activity you can think of. You no longer have free time because you're driving them to practice games. You learn to sit in uncomfortable chairs for hours on end in freezing rain and scorching heat. 
all the while cheering on your precious child. We found that our most memorable teaching moments was when our kids did get into sports, like how to win honorably, how to lose gracefully, and of course, the importance of good sportsmanship. A mom never wants the soccer coach to come and tell her that the reason their daughter got benched was because she was heckling the players from her own team. (laughs) Then it's on to middle school, which brings a whole rim of attitude, personality, drama. They start finding themselves and discovering independence. In middle school, we realized that God really did have a sense of humor. We had one late bloomer, one early bloomer, which meant they went through puberty at the same exact time. And one day I told Fred, I said, I'm going to go ahead and move out. You call me when the hormones level out. At this time, they find what group or club they want to be a part of. My son chose band and my daughter, it was theater. This was the beginning of our life, juggling concerts, productions, private lessons, competitions, before school rehearsals, after school practices, and us listening to Joshua drum on any surface he could find, and Morgan was rehearsing lines from her current production. Then it's high school, and it seems like it happened in a blink of an eye. When Josh moved to ninth grade, he became a member of the marching band. And once again, I realized that this hectic life that we thought we had before is nothing compared to what we have now. Before school even begins, it's band camp. And it was three a days. So they practice 8 a.m. to 12, 2 to 4, 6 to 9 every day for two weeks. Then once football season started, it was 6 to 9 every day. And then home to eat dinner, start on homework try to get some sleep, wake up, and do it all over again. When Morgan moved to high school, she stayed in theater where they rival the band on the amount of hours they rehearse, not to mention the many productions. She texted us earlier that her play today starts at 2.45. But Morgan also joined debate and now is on the Hispanic Future Leaders of America. There are very few days that Morgan gets home before 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night. And through it all, both of our kids are really involved in church. And on Wednesdays and Sundays, you'll usually find them next door, volunteering, working in any capacity that they can. But just as you're getting adjusted to life with teenagers in high school, the college search begins, the SAT prep, the sessions, the college tours, applications, college entrance essays, college essays, scholarship essays, and the many decisions that go along with it. In the next few months, we have a lot of changes in the Gonzalez home. I'm proud to say that my son Josh will not only be a freshman at the University of Alabama in this next semester, but he'll be a snare player in Alabama's million dollar band. It does pay off. (laughs) Our daughter will start driver's ed and then on to be in the 10th grade while life will continue to be hectic, crazy, and full of entertainment. If I had to do it all again, yes, there are a few changes I would make. But one thing I would never adjust is being involved in every aspect of their life. 
through all the craziness, the rat race, the moments of thinking, dear Lord, what have we done? (laughs) I've had a front row seat to watch them grow and become great human beings. It's chaos. It's beautiful chaos. I liken our lives to the conductor of a symphony while we're bringing in one section of our life and ending another section of our life. We have everyday obligations like full-time jobs, never-ending laundry, taking care of aging parents. And as we we wave our baton left to right, up and down, sometimes there are loud crescendos, while at other times a lone violinist holds a single note. But when we look at the full production, we understand all the chaos that work together to create this masterpiece we call life. Awesome. Let's stand. Let's give these great ladies a wonderful hand. Come on, audience. Come on. Come on. That's good stuff. Wow. If you cup your hand like this, it's louder. All right. Thought I'd share that with you. It don't hurt as bad. Have you enjoyed these women, honestly? Have you enjoyed these mothers? This is so wonderful. I get 45 seconds. So I, I just want to say hey to all the moms. You're special. You really are. None of us would be here. Norma said it in all three services without a mom. I love that statement. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here. Some of you may not know where your dad is, but you know where mom is and who mom is. And that's an awesome thing. And your dad's not in Target. But what a joy. You'll catch that after a while. But what a joy. What a joy to have a mama. I, uh, my mom was unique, different special unreal uh, push you to the limit kind of mom even when I was pastoring here and she was going to church here she said I don't like you the way you pastor this church and I said well mom what am I going to do she said I'm going I'm to find someplace else and I said no you're not mom no you're not because I'm taking care of you you're going to go to church right here and so she started telling me what she wanted at her funeral. And I said, Mama, you tell me all you want to tell me, but I'm going to have the last word. And I did. And I miss her so much. I miss her. But what a, what a grand lady she was. She put some toughness in me. She put what she called old-fashioned gumption in me. I don't know what it is to this day, but something in there just won't quit. It just won't quit. I love you, Mom. Thanks for being the kind of mom that you were to produce the kind of children that you produce. And I want to say this to everybody in this building today before I dismiss you. I want to say this to you. I love the familial touch. I love the familial touch that this church possesses. This church has a good family feel. It really does. And some of you that don't go to church often enough, you need to promise, Mom, you'll show up twice a month at least. And if you try us for twice a month, for about three three months, you'll be coming all the time. Because this church will continually bless your life 
with the Spirit of God and with the Word of God and with the music from this beautiful I love you. So, Lee Ahart's in the building today. I want to give her special recognition, Doug's mom, and I also want to give special recognition to Annie's mom and dad, Tim and Hope King, right over here. They're here from Houston. I give special recognition. And we're so happy to have Philip and Annie with us. And that was Annie singing today. She sounds like a Johnson girl, doesn't she? She really does. I think I think some music's going to come out of that girl in this church. And Brother Philip is going to be our young adult pastor. Would you would you bow your heads? And let me bless you. And on your way out, get you a muffin, Mama, and get you a succulent plant, whatever that is. I don't know what a succulent plant is, but it sounds like it's amazing. All right, let me bless you, Father. I love you. And I thank you for this day and for your goodness. Thank you for these precious, precious ladies that just poured their hearts out and gave their souls away today. And Lord, we, we wept with Christy and we saw the beauty of Amy. And when Kayla preached to us in a wonderful way, we got, we got motivated. And when Norma started us off today, Lord, it was like the linguist of all linguists talking to us. She had such clear speech, such beautiful speech. And then Ann finishing us off, making us feel so good about life because she told us exactly where we all are. Beautiful chaos. Thank you, Lord, because you're always there. And thank you for my wife, who is the mother of our children. I give honor to my sweet pea today. Now bless us all, and don't let us be sonic hot dog people today. Let us take care of our moms very specially today, and love on them, and cook for them, provide for them, go get the paper for them, let them use the channel changer for the TV and not take it away from them. And bless us all, bring us back next Sunday, in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. I love you, now go get you something. Take your picture outside. Take as long as you want to get out of here. We love you. You're awesome people. Have a great, great.